Welcome back to Between the Levees. I am joined today by Ms. Casey Eckstein, the president of Eckstein Trade and Transport. Uh, her career has spanned a number of years, longer, certainly longer than I've been in the industry, but uh, she's been a lot of places, seen a lot of things, and I'm happy to welcome her here. Casey, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Tim. It's an honor to be here. Appreciate the invite. Well, we mentioned off camera a little, a little while ago that Eckstein Trade and Transport doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue. <laughs> that's right. So we're actually going by ET and T. That's what we encourage everyone to call it. Um, Eckstein Trade and Transport was named what it is because we're trading commodities as well as transporting commodities, and then we're also recruiting in the trading and transportation industry. So we're we're providing recruitment services to oil and gas majors as well as uh, transportation companies all over the country. So our, we also have a DBA ET and T recruiting. So that's what, you know, you don't have to say Exxon Trade and Transport every time you can say et &T. And is it all female? Right now it is, yes. Um, it is just myself and my business partner, Jenna Godet, uh, who is also the co-founder of Wimos Association. So Jenna Godet is the executive vice president of et &T, and we're hoping to be hiring uh, for our own company very soon. And as far as your client base, is that all women or both? Uh, both? It will be both. And we're recruiting both men and women, but we're specializing in female placement due to our affiliation with Wemos Association, um, which I can kind of dive into, but I don't know how many people that listen are, are familiar with Wemos, so I should probably explain that as well. We'll get into that a little bit later. But all that said, uh, if you've seen these shows before, they all begin with the very same question. Please tell me, where were you born? I was born in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, uh, which is a small little golf beach town outside of Jacksonville, Florida. So uh, it's about 45 minutes from downtown Jacksonville. A lot of people think I was born and raised in the industry, but I was not. Uh, my dad was the one Eckstein brother that did not go into the maritime business. And he was in real estate in the Jacksonville, Florida area. So I was not raised in the industry. Um, I knew what boats and barges were because of my grandfather and my uncle John and my uncle Randy. Uh, but I was, that is, that is about all I knew. I just knew what they were. So I didn't really understand what they did. Did they all grow up in Louisiana? Uh, no, actually. So my family is massive. My dad's one of eight children. Um, my mom's one of six. They both grew up in Wisconsin. Um, my dad grew up in a small little town called Caskill, Wisconsin, which is uh, where Marquette Transportation was started. And then my, uh, when my uncle John took over as president of Marquette, he moved the headquarters of Marquette from, Padu or from uh, Castle, Wisconsin to Paducah, Kentucky. So I have a lot of cousins that um, were born in Wisconsin, but then also some of them were born in Paducah, Kentucky or raised in Paducah, Kentucky, um, because they're kind of, you know, following the, the family business per se. Um, and then I have cousins that are all over the place, all over the country, because there's 28 of us on just my dad's side. So... Yeah, big Catholic family. They they took Catholicism very seriously. Did uh, did your mother work? Yes, she did. Uh, she was in advertising. Actually, I, we, my parents say I got my sales abilities from her. Um, she was a very very good at sales, and she did um, like billboard sales back in the day. And um, actually, funny story: when I was born, she was their number one salesperson. And so they put me on a billboard when I was born. Um, that, that was like their, I guess, present to her as becoming a new mother. Um, so yeah, she worked 
until I was about, I think, nine months old. And she said that I was a very good baby. So I would be waking up when she was going to work and I was going to sleep when she was getting home and I would sleep all through the night. So she felt like she wasn't getting to know her daughter. And so she, uh, she retired, uh, per se, at, you know, probably 30 years old to start becoming a mother. And then my brother and sister followed shortly after me. So she had her hands pretty full with that. Well, what was life growing up there in Florida? It was, it was a really great childhood, a very safe town. Um, you know, a lot of memories on the beach. Um, my uncle John had a beach house there too. So I had my cousins, um, Alex and Drew that I got to grow up pretty close to as well. So just tons of memories, um, growing up, you know, with sand in between my toes and, um, and a very just quiet city, um, not even really a city, I would say, but, um, yeah, it was, a I can't recommend it enough for raising a family. Um, I did move back there for a brief period of time after my travels, which we'll get into later. Um, but it's not a place where you really want to start your career or restart your career or build your career. In my opinion, um, it's a great place. Like once you've established yourself, if you want to move back there and, and have a great family life, I think that's, that's the place to do it. Were you attracted to anything academically growing up? Academically growing up, I really loved the arts. Um, I was, I, I love to paint. I actually, I painted this painting right here. Um, so <laughs> that's probably not the, uh, the academic answer you were looking for, but that was my, that's what stands out to me is like the classes that I looked forward to the most were, you know, whether it was sculpture or painting and um, actually, you know, won some awards with those things growing up. I really, really loved anything having to do with creating art. Then I was in sports as well. So, you know, doesn't really, nothing, I wasn't really drawn to, you know, like math or science or any of those typical classes. Um, I loved uh, creating things, which is kind of what flowed into my career as well. I like to create new things that didn't exist before. Did you attend college? I did. I went to the College of Charleston in South Carolina. And I was actually, I started selling Cutco knives while I was in school. Have you heard of Cutco? I have not. You've never heard of Cutco? Um, so Cutco knives are, it's like a pyramid scheme. And so I kind of got pulled into it. It was my first, like, I don't know, job where I made a good amount of money. I guess you could say I was probably 17, about to be 18 and started selling Cutco. They're the sharpest knives in the world. There's a lot of reasons why they're, you know, the best knives to buy. And I'm not going to get into the whole pitch. I haven't done it in a long time, but that was my intro to sales. And so um, I was selling Cutco knives while I was going to school at the College of Charleston. And I was really good at it. I, I made a lot of money for uh, a teenager and I was hooked on sales. So I'd make my own schedule. I could make a lot of money and uh, it was great for my resume. And so I did that for a long time. And then I also um, sold cars in college too. So I would go to school from like nine to noon and then I would head to the car dealership and I would, uh, I would sell new and pre-owned cars. You know, I was not a used car salesperson. I was a pre-owned <laughs> salesperson. Um, but yeah, so great, you know, sales experiences there. Um, just loved the whole making my own schedule and no cap on what I could make with sales. So that's what got me hooked. And, um, I loved 
making my own money and finding that independence at a very young age. Um, and I, I realized very quickly that money means freedom. And so I was, you know, able to do things that a lot of my other college friends were not able to because I had this income coming in from working. And so I actually decided to graduate college early. I moved home. I was only 21. I, I, so I guess I completed my four-year degree in three and a half years, moved back to Florida, got my insurance license, started selling insurance. And I was actually trying to sell insurance to Marquette Transportation when they offered me the job to, to start doing sales for Marquette. So I was um, actually trying to sell them an employee benefits package. So I needed to learn about the inland towboat industry in order to tailor my presentation to the board at Marquette. And it was, it was a long shot, but if I were to get the Marquette contract as an insurance salesperson, it would have been some really big money for me at a very young age. So I put my heart and soul into this uh, research project. And that's actually how I fell in love with the industry. I, my, my cousin, Josh Esper, he's um, head of engineering at Marquette Transportation. He got me on a towboat kind of secretly. You know, we didn't want the people I was selling to, to know I was doing all of this research. I wanted it to be a surprise when I did my PowerPoint presentation that I actually spent time on a towboat. So I spent three days out on this towboat. And it was on my grandfather's namesake, uh, the Ray Eckstein. And I just absolutely fell in love out there. The only problem was the only person who would talk to me was the wheelhouse captain who had a, actually a very big impact on um, my, at least the very beginning of my career in entering the industry. Uh, I don't know if you ever knew Captain Bill Winders, but he has since passed away. Um, but he was just an incredible man and his passion for the industry just, it was palpable. And, um, the, but the crew, uh, they knew I was an Eckstein, so they wouldn't really talk to me. <laughs> and I think they thought I was like a spy or something. I don't know, but, um, I needed to talk to them so I could learn about the industry. And so I, um, uh, actually, this is, you know, a funny story, but I, I noticed they were all popping, you know, the dips, like the Kodiak skull, grizzly, you know, all those things. So I was like, you know, maybe if I did that with them, like they would think I was cool and they would talk to me. So I, um, uh, I was like, Hey, give me, give me one of those, uh, lips you got there. And like, you should have seen the looks on their faces when I grabbed one and, and did it with them. And then they all opened up to me and we all, I mean, we were, we were all like family by the time I got off the boat, which is crazy because I was only on boat for three days. But I mean, I was literally, when I was pulling away from that boat, like I had like a tear coming down my eye and I was just like, I didn't even realize I'd fallen in love with the industry. I was still so set on making this insurance presentation and getting this, um, getting this new client. But I guess my like passion for the industry really showed through in my presentation to the Marquette executives. And my uncle John would not be, he wouldn't even be in the presentation. He wanted them to make the decision on their own. Um, if they wanted to buy the insurance, not, you know, buy this insurance because my niece is selling a type of deal. But instead of buying the insurance, they offered me a job. They, they thought I, they liked my presentation, but they didn't want to buy the insurance, but they wanted to buy me, I guess you could say. So I actually, my, my uncle um, and HR, they called me a few times to try and get me to leave Florida and move to New Orleans and take this sales job with Marquette. And I turned it down, I think two times until my uncle called me and I'm still so grateful to him that he, he pushed me to take the job because it changed my life. And he said, uh, 
you'd be an idiot not to take this job. <laughs> and when one of the most successful men that you've ever met says you'd be an idiot to not do something, you do it. So I, uh, I left my little beach that I loved and I moved to New Orleans and started my career at 23 um, at Marquette Transportation. So I actually, well, I started in Paducah, Kentucky training and dispatch and then moved to New Orleans. But, but yeah, that's how I got into the industry. Before we get into more detail on that, tell me how that first time stepping on a towboat was. Tell me about the stories Captain Bill shared with you. Like, what was that experience aside from dipping for the first time? <laughs> um, so my dad actually terrified me about getting on the boat. Um, he was he 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 rode the boats growing up. It was just what the Eckstein brothers did. They were their summer jobs were riding the towboats, and um, so he had a lot of time logged out there. But this was back in the day. Like he was he was riding the boats, you know, back in the um the seventies, you know. So there's it was a totally different ball game at that point in time. So he told me he was like, Casey, you know, wear a turtleneck and don't show any skin these guys haven't seen a woman in weeks and I was like what like he's like booby trap your door like I was like are you kidding he like literally had me so scared and then I get on the boat and it was a rainy day and it was kind of scary I didn't even know who was picking me up and we're out on this you know little John boat going out to meet the um the big it's a big line boat so they're not going to stop so um, I, I was so nervous. And then I get on the boat and I meet all these guys, I meet the whole crew. I'm like, these guys are like my age. They're super cool, down to earth, the nicest people I've ever met. And my dad had me all scared for no reason, you know, but it was, it still kind of remains like a funny um, thought to me because it got me so much more scared than I would have been. Um, and so, yeah, it was, uh, like I said, we were like family by the time I got off, I spent a lot of time in the wheelhouse with, um, Captain Bill Winters and he just, I mean, the, just the way that he, it's not even so much all the things he said, but just the way that I could like that he looked at the water and the way that he loved the water. And I would catch the deck hands just sitting out there and just staring off, you know, and at the Mississippi river, like riverbanks and just the love I could just see and that they had for this industry was really quite moving, honestly. And I still have pictures from that trip that I cherish to this day. And um, some of them are of Captain Bill Winders. And sadly, he actually, Captain Bill passed away at the, at the helm of, uh, with, and it was in 2020 and he had a heart attack while he was, um, in the wheelhouse. And so he died doing what he loved. So it was, uh, that was, that really, you know, kind of shook me, um, when I, when I learned that because captain Bill and I stayed in touch for the entire time from the first day I stepped on that boat until he passed, he had just sent me a photo and he would always send me photos of, um, the sun rising or setting, um, in front of the toe or going through a bridge or just really pretty pictures out there. And he had just sent me a photo like a week before he passed away. So it was just, you know, he, uh, it, he, he played a big role in just like solidifying my, you know, love for the industry. You know, like I said, I, I should have fallen in love with it a long time ago because my family has been in it forever, but it was that experience being out there on the water with them that really got me. What year was it that Captain Bill passed? I feel like I recognize that name for some reason. Is it within yeah, that, over the last the last eight years? Yeah, um, he passed away in 2020. So 
Um, I remember like it was probably June, 2020 that he passed because I just moved to Houston and I got the news, but I, he, I think he was working for Western rivers when he passed, he, but he was at Marquette for a long time, but yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I, I remember when we were on the boat, like he had had a big weight loss journey and he, he'd had heart issues. And so it was a uh, part of, you know, what I talked to him a lot about since I was doing a, you know, an insurance research project on developing a health plan for Marquette. Um, so, you know, it's, it's so sad, but it, um, you know, brings me, I guess, a little bit of peace to know that he died doing what he loves. And, and he also was just such a legend. He even steered the toe into the bank perfectly in, in his last, you know, couple of minutes and so no one was hurt. No one was injured. Just, uh, you know, hell of a captain. Did that happen near Baton Rouge? Uh, I think you might be right. Um, I, I, I can't remember for sure, but I, I do believe he was going down river. So. Yeah. I remember it happening. Um, I don't know where I was with Ingram. Anyway, I'm not sure why I, I know that, that that happened, but it sounded familiar. Well, tell me what's maybe the most surprising thing you saw when you got out there on that boat. Uh, probably like the friendly competition that they had with the other carriers. Um, I won't say who it was that was pulling up, but uh, it was a, it was a, <laughs> a company that I guess was known for having some rough, rough and tough crews. Um, and so Captain Bill, I was out on the tow with the guys, probably popping a dip. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and um, they, uh, the, the Captain Bill radioed the, the deckhands and it was dark out. And um, he said, send Casey back to the, the boat immediately. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, he doesn't want these guys that are these uh deckhands from this other company to lay eyes on you <laughs> so uh that was a little nerve-wracking and also just uh an eye-opening experience that like not all crews are the same you know so that was I think that that's you know what stands out to me the most I mean this was nine almost ten years ago so my memory is not as sharp as it would have been if you would have asked me about you know what stood out you know if it was right after that trip, I probably would have had a million things for you, but that's the thing I remember, um, being the most shocking. And ha I had, a remember having like a little like jolt, like, oh man, like I need to, I'm getting back up there to the wheelhouse to Captain Bill right now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was interesting. Well, fast forward to Paducah now. So you're training, you said in dispatch. Yes. So I started off training in the river division. Um, so just, dispatching riverboats, really like learning the, the mile markers. I was getting, everyone knew I was getting trained to go into sales. Um, I'm a sales, I was a salesperson already at this point, um, just needed to learn the industry and they didn't, they didn't want me going out and selling something I didn't know anything about, which is not a recipe for success anyway. So I was really happy that I was learning, you know, everything I needed to, to go successfully sell for this company. So I learned, I, I trained in a riverboat dispatch for a little bit, not near as long as we thought I was going to, because they had some turnover in the Gulf. And after, I don't know, about a month and a half, they, uh, Darren Adrian, who was my boss at the time, pulled me into the office and he said, so how are you liking Paducah? And, and it was January, or I guess mid-February at this point, like very harsh winter too. And I was like, you know, I actually love it here. I'm, I made some friends and he wasn't expecting me to say that. And he goes, 
good because we're sending you to New Orleans. I go, yeah, I'm like four months. That's going to be great. And he was like, no, like your uncle John wants you there tomorrow. And I was like, you, you guys realize I moved here, right? Like I have an apartment, I have a car, I have a dog and we're all here. And he's like, I, and they, I think there was someone else in the room and he looked over, he's like, told him it wasn't going to happen overnight. And I was like, it definitely can't happen overnight. You guys, like I have things that I need to drive there. So we, um, they, they fast tracked me down to New Orleans. I moved down there, um, started training in the Gulf Inland boat dispatch. And I moved down there during Mardi Gras. Actually, that was quite the experience. 23 years old, moving to New Orleans during Mardi Gras. Absolutely incredible experience, but you know, also just, uh, so much going on, right. I'm, I'm moving into a new city. I'm learning a new job. There's this crazy thing called Mardi Gras going on where parades are on my street and I can't drive certain places. And it was just a wild time on, but I, I trained in the Gulf Inland boat dispatch department for about six months, really dove all in with that. And that was a great experience. Great people in that department. Um, that was actually, it was, uh, my uncle Randy was still alive at the time. And, um, I'd even lived with him for a little bit before I found my apartment in New Orleans. And he, um, that was his company at one point, it was Eckstein Marine, the Gulf Inland division of Marquette was at one point Eckstein Marine services. And so it was, um, kind of cool. Cause I, my uncle Randy was there and he was, you know, basically mentoring me while I was training in this department that used to be his you know, then I moved on. I was actually really just so at that point, so eager to get into sales. They, they cut me loose after about six months. I started going to sales events and I found my first big customer, huge account. Uh, Marquette still has it today, actually. And um, then after I, you know, made a couple of big sales, they decided they pull me back to Paducah, Kentucky. So I moved, I was like, wait, I don't understand. They're like, well, if you're already good at sales and you only train really essentially in like the Gulf Inland Boat Dispatch team, then we really are going to be excited to see what you can do after you've trained in the barge dispatch department. And I, uh, I was like, great. So another winter in Paducah, let's do it. So I moved to Paducah again and um, I was there for about five months and they'd let me go back to New Orleans every now and then at this point, like I had a life in New Orleans, you know, that I was missing. I had a boyfriend there at the time and spend like three weeks at a time in Paducah, then go back to New Orleans for a, a week and then come back to Paducah and learning the, um, the barge dispatch component is what it really did just catapult me to another level in sales went out. And I mean, essentially grew a book of business from $0. I, they didn't give me any accounts. Like, you know, for example, like when I started at Ingram, they gave me accounts to manage at Marquette. They didn't give me any accounts. They said, go find them and uh, bring them in. And so um, I did that. I did exactly that. And I built a book of business from zero to about 40 million in revenue and about four and a half years. So it was very rewarding. And it, it just, as soon as I learned what we did and understood it 110%, it was, it was a lot easier to go out and find customers. And this was in a down market. So this was when we had, Marquette had 12, 2000 horsepower Z drives that had just hit the water and everyone was freaking out because there was no work and they had all these new assets that they needed to put to work. And I was like a kid in the candy store. I was like, I cannot wait. This is going to be great. I'll put them all to work. And sure enough, like the contracts I found, they're still working on today on those contracts. So Mark, you know, Marquette still has those contracts that those boats are still working on. And that's kind of cool. 
it was a great training program. And I feel very blessed that I had the opportunity to train in all these different departments. And that's, that's partially what inspired Wimos as well was, you know, I, I recognized that I had a lot of privilege being, you know, the CEO's niece and being able to train in these different areas. And that's not necessarily normal. And most women don't have that opportunity. And even some men don't have that opportunity to, you know, to train in different departments. So that, that inspired Wimos because when I, uh, I actually was the, uh, I guess the person who opened the door to St. John fleeting, um, when I was there and we got three boats on charter with St. John fleet. And that's how I met Jenna Gode as a co-founder of Wimos. When we got awarded that contract, it was a five and a half year contract for three boats. We were very excited. Again, the market was still kind of down. Um, and then Jenna and I, our friendship blossomed after we won the contract and um, I want to make that clear. And I still give her, I give her crap about that today because she was really hard on me. She told me, yeah, there's no way you're going to win this contract. Uh, good luck, but you're not, <laughs> you're probably not going to get it, but that just made me try even harder. And so um, we finally won the contract and then she kind of let her walls down with me and we started becoming friends and we were at an event together and I realized how her relationship was helping my career and how, you know, I felt like we were helping each other's careers. And she, not only that, but just, I felt more comfortable going to events with her at my side. Not that I felt uncomfortable before going to mostly male events. I mean, um, for example, Tim, imagine walking into a networking event and having 300 women in the room and maybe like five men. Um, that was my normal, except it was 300 men and maybe five women. And I, I've always been comfortable with in, in, in male dominated situations, just with, you know, the different careers I've had, but having Jenna there with me just made me feel that much more comfortable. And so I actually had this idea at one of these big industry events. And I said, Jenna, we should start a group and connect women like us so that, you know, we can help other women can help each other as well, just like we've helped each other. And she's, uh, she was a CFO of St. John Fleet for almost 10 years. So she, you know, of course, immediately is thinking about money and she's like, well, we're going to need money. So we're going to need to make it a nonprofit. And I was like, perfect, let's do it. So um, within a couple of months, we were um, having our first meeting in New Orleans and we had about 30 women show up to that. That was in um, September of 2017. And then uh, now uh, five and a half, almost six years later, we're at over 800 members from over 200 companies in 26 states. So um, we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, I've been impressed with the progress y'all have had for sure. But uh, tell me, what brought your uncle Randy to New Orleans? And, and what was his, uh, you said Eckstein Transport? Uh, Eckstein Marine. Marine. What, what was the, the story behind that? So I don't want to butcher the story, but I believe that he had moved there um, probably to get into the river business. He was very independent. He, I think he had dropped, he had actually dropped out of college at one point. And I think he was even like fighting fires in Alaska and then decided to move to New Orleans and start his own company in the river business. Um, the only help that he had had from my grandpa Ray was that he co-signed on his first boat with him. And then other than that, he was all on his own and, um, you know, pretty much self-made man. So that was, you know, very impressive and inspiring to me, um, to see that because, you know, that's a, 
something that I've kind of carried with me through my whole career is I want, when I retire one day, I, I want to be able to say, and I think I will be able to say that I did, you know, I did this on my own. I wasn't given anything. And, and that is, you know, part of the reason I left Marquette was that I realized no matter how successful I was there, um, everyone was always going to say it was because I was family. Oh, well, you know, she's an ex and That's just why she's there. And that's why she's doing well. And so I, um, as much as I shouldn't let that kind of stuff get to me, it did get to me a little bit and I'm very competitive. And I was like, I'm going to show them I can do it on my own. And I don't, I don't need to um, be working for the, you know, quote unquote family business to be successful. It's, it's going to be, I'm going to literally choose a harder path for myself, but I think it'll be more fulfilling at the end of the day. And it, it already has been. So, um, but yeah, he's, he's definitely been an inspiration to me. He's a, He's someone that um, I miss very much. We lost him in 2018 to cancer, but he's he's just so loved in the industry. And I've gone on a lot of boats here in in Houston in the Houston Ship Channel. And um, when I was I was actually selling marine fuel, that's how I got to Houston. I was hired um, to sell fuel to all the boat companies. So I was on boats almost you know every other day. I was getting on different companies' boats, talking to the captains, talking to the crew. And so many of them knew my uncle Randy and he is still so loved by so many. And he's not even, you know, here on planet earth anymore. And they were just like your uncle Randy, man, he just, he, he cared about us. He knew us. He, you know, he would remember our names. He would, you know, do, do this, this and that. And just, I mean, that is really something. And it's something that I, you know, really has stuck with me. I mean, he even learned Cajun French so that he could talk to the captains when that when I mean I've heard stories now from his uh from his daughters who were my cousins who were some of my best friends or like sisters and they're like yeah we remember we you know he'd be on the phone and talking them through storms talking them through hurricanes speaking in Cajun French and that is just taking you know appreciation for your employees to a whole nother level and it really, you know, it, it resonates with them and, and it, as it should, and because they are generally cared for and, um, and they, you know, so, you know, the fact that now 20 years later, they still remember that and they still love him. It's pretty, pretty cool. What was uh, living in New Orleans, I guess, compared to where you'd been thus far? So, you know, it's similar to Charleston, South Carolina in a way. So it wasn't as big of a culture shock as it probably would have been had I not had that time in Charleston. And I think that comes from, you know, Charleston was kind of dangerous too. You know, I had to always be, I'd come from this little safe haven of Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, and no crime ever happens. You know, the, the cops are always just worried about busting high school parties. Like they don't have any other crime to really worry about. And then I got to Charleston and you know, I have a classmate get shot. I've got, you know, people that are, you know, just there's, it, there's real crime there is what I'm getting at. And, and it's, it, Charleston's almost like a smaller, cleaner New Orleans. Um, <laughs> I love New Orleans, don't get me wrong, but it, it is, it's very, it's just uh, kind of like that. New Orleans, you know, was there, I, the crime, I think is what kept me on my toes the most, you know, I just had to be really careful. My, dad put me in my moving truck with a shotgun that I kept by my front door. And, you know, I just always had to be on guard. And I, and actually, like, I think that that experience of, you know, being a single woman living in New Orleans with, you know, no security system and a shotgun, um, I, they got me kind of prepared for 
backpacking solo around the world um, because I wasn't scared of anything. I was like, my dad was terrified when I decided to go backpacking abroad by myself. But I was like, dad, you realize I've been living in one of the most dangerous cities, you know, what they say, who knows what to believe in the media anymore, but I'm living in one of the, you know, these dangerous cities and I've been living here for five years and I, and I haven't had anything bad happen to me because I'm, I'm street smart. And so I think I'm going to be okay. And, and, these different countries I'm going to, but um, I don't know. I'd say that the biggest culture shock was, you know, obviously just having to stay on guard and be careful. Um, not, I mean, I didn't really know anyone when I moved there either, but I'd say that the Cajun accents were just amazing. That's, and I, I, I still get to experience those all the time. I mean, OTC is going on here this week in Houston and I've got, you know, there's lots of people from New Orleans in town. I mean, my dad even married a Cajun. She, he ended up marrying a, a woman from Homa even have a Cajun in the family now. So I love the Cajun culture. Um, I love the food. Um, crawfish boils were new to me and I'm obsessed with those now. So, I mean, I even, I'm that person in Houston where I'm like finding the best crawfish place here and nothing can compare to the crawfish boils in New Orleans though. Just uh, really like, you know, great people. I just feel like everyone had a really big heart there and, you know, have nothing but great things to say about New Orleans. When was that backpacking trip? Did that follow your departure from Marquette? Kind of. So the backpacking trip, I decided to take off on, um, like I think it was March 30th, 2019. So it was right before COVID. Um, and I, so I left Marquette. I, I, speaking of New Orleans, I was, I kind of felt, felt like my time in New Orleans had expired. I was ready to leave and you know, with Marquette, the only other option was really to move to Paducah, which was of no interest to me. So, um, and I was kind of done with New Orleans. So I actually moved to Denver, Colorado, which is the opposite of New Orleans. If you could find a city that is the opposite of New Orleans, it is Denver, Colorado. I moved there, super healthy lifestyle, nature, clean, very like, I was looking for like a very like young industry professional community. And I kind of got that there in Denver. I was um, also working remotely there for ABB, pushing their diesel electric towboat solution. Um, they wanted me to, you know, kind of essentially like be the face of this new technology and go out and sell it to all the towboat companies. And I, you know, long story short, I, it wasn't for me. And I figured that out very quickly at ABB. And so I decided, well, I don't know what I want to do next. I need it, but I know I want to travel. I caught the travel bug when I was in Thailand, spent like a 10 day vacation over there when I was working at Marquette. I used like my Christmas holiday and New Year's Eve holiday to take like an extra long vacation. That 10 days is only a long vacation in the United States, other countries, that's a pretty short vacation, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, but when I was in Thailand, I was meeting all these people that were like, oh, I was like, how long are you traveling for? And they'd be like, I don't know, three months, maybe a year. I haven't decided yet. And I was like, what? And it was just mind boggling to me about all these people. They're just like, like living, literally just living and traveling. And some of them are working remote. Some of them saved up a bunch of money and decided to go take a long trip to, you know, find themselves or just have this amazing life experience. And um, Thailand was like, unlike anywhere I'd ever been in, in my life, I literally felt like I just landed on another planet. And that was really cool to me. I love being out of my comfort zone. And so I was very out of my comfort zone in Thailand. And so it was, it almost became like an obsession on how am I going to figure out how to go do what all these other people are doing 
but I can't do that at this point in time. I was 26 and I was working at Marquette and I was in a really good spot with Marquette and I, it wasn't the time. And so I stayed a little longer there. And that was always in the back of my head though. Like you need to do this someday. You just don't know when it's going to be. And so then when I realized ABB wasn't where I wanted to be, I was like, you know, I've been saving all this money. Um, my lease is up in Denver. So I just said, screw it, put all my stuff into storage, had my dad watch my dog and packed a backpack and uh, took a one-way flight to New Zealand and uh, spent about five months traveling to 15 different countries, mostly by myself. So it was everything I wanted it to be and then some. And um, I spent a month in New Zealand, a month in uh, Australia, a month in Southeast Asia, did uh, Indonesia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Singapore, and then went over to Europe and bounced around for about two months. And uh, can't recommend doing that enough. <laughs> um, and it was right before COVID. So it was crazy. I was kept having when I was when I was working at ABB, I was having these like visions of like windows shutting and just like this opportunity is going away soon. This opportunity is going away soon. And I thought it was where I was in my life. You know, it was like, oh, okay, I need to be like probably thinking about settling down and having a family at this point in my life. But what's funny is not really funny, but it, maybe it was the COVID thing that happened because COVID happened pretty quickly after I returned. And I don't, and it's, you know, still probably not the same. I mean, I was staying in hostels and rooms with 15 people and um, that definitely wasn't allowed for, you know, a long time after I made that trip. So yeah, I came back just like invigorated and so re like, so happy. I just checked that box and I really did get it out of my system. And, um, I just, you know, the thing is I thought I was going to have this huge, like epiphany when I was traveling, where I was going to know exactly what I wanted to do when I got back. But the, I guess the epiphany I had was just saying, I need to go back to the inland barge industry. I actually just couldn't, I, I knew I wasn't going to do that in Denver. So, um, when I moved, when I came back to the States, I, I took all my stuff from Denver and I drove to Florida and I thought I could maybe make the maritime, um, industry work there in Florida, but I really, I mean, the inland barge industry is, it's not there. It's, you know, it's actually Houston, Orleans. So I was doing some, um, volunteer work. We're not volunteer work. I was, um, sorry, I was working for a nonprofit called living lands and waters. Chad Pagraki offered me a great opportunity said, you know, come work for me. You know, I'll pay you while you, you know, figure out what you want to do next. Um, help me, you know, promote living lands and waters like you have done with Wimos, help me find new sponsors. And I was like, this seems like a great way for me to kind of segue back into the industry while doing something really great for the industry and trying to figure out what I want to do next. So that's exactly what I did. And it was so fun. Chad Pagraki is an amazing man. And I um, got to work with him and his team for a few months. And then COVID hit. I was offered a marine fuel sales job in Houston, like in the thick of COVID. When I moved to Houston, things were still shut down. That's what got me here. So I'm just so happy to be in Houston. I don't think I would have had the courage to go start my own business if I wasn't in this city. It's It truly is the land of opportunity. And um, actually kind of the city I've been looking for, that young professional community that I so craved when I moved to Denver, is it's here. And um, we've got the great food. We've got tons of, I mean, you walk in any restaurant, you might meet someone super important you could strike a deal with. And I don't know anywhere else like that in the country. But yeah, so I'm, I'm very happy to be here in Houston, Texas. Jumping back overseas, do you have a favorite memory? This is kind of an impossible question, but a, 
especially memorable moment from that trip? Uh, there's two that come to mind. Um, the first one is uh, bungee jumping in New Zealand. So I did, um, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. Uh, so my, I'd been skydiving before, but bungee jumping not necessarily wasn't like on my list of things to do, but it is like the thing to do in New Zealand. It's like Queenstown is like the adrenaline capital of the world. I decided to do the uh, tallest bungee in New Zealand. It's like an eight and a half second free fall. And it was incredible. I would have done it over and over and over again if it was free. That was incredible. I've met these Canadians earlier on in my um, travels. I drove the whole country of New Zealand by myself. like, And I'd met these Canadians like two weeks before. And then I spent Easter with them in Queenstown. And then we all went bungee jumping together. So at least I had friends, you know, that I was going to do this with. Because like going and doing that alone would have been extra scary. But yeah, I was the... I was the person who like snuck a bottle of bourbon on the bus and had a little liquid courage flowing <laughs> before I did the jump, which was probably not allowed. But anyways, I, I, most of the people on the bus were, were partaking. And um, so it was, that was an amazing experience. <laughs> and then the other one was when I was in um, Bali, my first night in Bali. So like everyone in Indonesia is like pretty like, pretty short. I mean, I'm tall there. I'm only like five, seven and all of the, the men there, you know, barely come to, up to my shoulder. I felt like, so, I mean, I really stand out there. Like I'm like a blonde, tall blonde there. And I didn't, again, my, you know, I guess I, this is like halfway, or I guess it's two and a half months into my travels. So I was getting a little comfortable, like I was getting too comfortable and I wasn't, um, being on guard, you know? So I was leaving, um, I was leaving the bars and actually this is a, this is a small world coincidence. So I met these uh, Americans when I was out at the bars in Bali and they said, um, they knew Marquette, they had been deckhanding on some, like for some company and they knew that they knew my family. It was cr crazy small. And I'm literally on the other side of the world. So fast forward, I'm still out, I'm out with them. And they're, they're like, Hey, we're going to keep, we're going to stay out. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to call it. You know, I was, you know, very mindful. I'm like, you know, I'm only going to have like a drink or two because I'm by myself in Indonesia. So, um, decided to, to drive home early. And when I was leaving, I had my phone out and I was like looking up, you know, Googling where my place was. And I guess, you know, they, the, the person who ended up robbing me, um, just knew I was a tourist and, and knew I was by myself. And so I got robbed that night. Um, that was really scary. Uh, I was by myself. He took my phone. I didn't know where I was. I was in the middle of nowhere in the dark. Um, I had to wave down a bunch of locals that helped me find, I was hoping they weren't criminals too, but they, they were good. Most people there are really nice. Um, and crime, petty crime is actually a huge crime there. Like they, you can get like your hand chopped off or theft. Anyways, that was a, that was an eye-opening experience. Um, and then also a highlight was, uh, I met up with Jenna Godet, uh, who's the co-founder of Wimos and also now my new business partner. And we did, um, the two and a half weeks, uh, island hopping through Greece. So that was really cool, but I, it's impossible to pick like the best place, you know? I'm glad to see you made it back all in one piece. And you, so you make it to Houston. I know our, our time window for today is closing gradually here. Yes. Um, so when um, I moved here, it was for Atlas Marine and it was a new marine company, marine fuel sales, and it was Atlas Oil. They um, do a lot of oil distribution land-wise and they were trying to get into the marine space. 
And that's, so I, I knew pretty quickly after starting at Atlas that um, uh, it wasn't going to stay afloat for very long. So um, there's nothing like starting at a company and a month in having to start interviewing for other companies. That was quite an experience. So within a month or so of starting here in Houston, I was talking to other barge lines. I was like, look, I don't think this is good. I think this is very bad. And I need to, I need to like have a, a floating device to get off onto. So I was talking to all the different companies and I was talking to Ingram Barge Company was one of them. And um, I received a few offers and uh, decided to take the um, opportunity with Ingram because I wanted to learn the liquid barge side of the business. And that was where the opportunity was. Ingram had just bought Cheryl K. Marine here in, in uh, Houston. Uh, it was a great experience. I learned so much. I also got to kind of dabble in dry cargo, which is my expertise. And that's all I did when I was at Marquette. They welcomed me like family. And it was a really great experience. And uh, kind of rounding out that liquid, you know, gaining that liquid barge sales experience really gave me the confidence to, to go off on my own. I saw the opportunity, you know, also because I am here in Houston and was really pushed by some um, very uh, important, influential people here in Houston to go off on my own. We uh, started the company um, technically, you know, really got going in probably September of last year. I, I did form the LLC a couple months before that, but like really didn't start going at it until September or so. And then Jenna, Jenna joined me in October. It, it only took about a couple of weeks before I was like, Jenna, I need you. Um, we were, we did really well with Wemos. We, we've done great on the nonprofit side. Now let's do the for-profit side and make some money this time. She was a little hesitant to join me because we are best friends. And um, the my sales pitch to her was, well, our friendship started with business, so we're going to be fine if we become business partners. And so she agreed and came on and we're providing marine brokerage services as well as um, recruitment services. So we were doing things like, you know, fully found chartering boats out. Obviously, you know, we don't own boats, so we're finding people who have available horsepower and chartering it out to customers that I know. Um, and then also same with, you know, barging, we're putting together also full, you know, per net ton deals. Um, we are woman-owned small business. So that's opening up a lot of doors on the government contract side. Um, we're also going um, to be going after some other certifications very soon. That'll help us in that regard as well. But we're doing a lot in the aggregate world right now. Um, we've done some steel movements. And then on the recruiting side, that is a, a, the business segment that I think is going to surprise us the most with how lucrative it is. Um, everyone seems to be hiring right now. And again, all the connections I'm making here in Houston have just been incredible. And even the blue water side is starting to open up to us naturally with just people and meeting at networking events and how many people they're hiring on that side. And uh, I think we're really impressed with ourselves as to how big our network is. Um, when you know we've talked to, for example, a client who's been trying to hire for a position for four months, and then we find a, a, their perfect candidate in three days. That's when we realize like, we have some serious value to give here. And we are we are specializing in female placement because of Wemos. That's you know a very obvious reason because we have we know so many females in the industry, unlike other recruiting agencies. But we are placing both men and and women. Wemos kind of inspired the idea for the recruitment side of the business because Jenna and I were already doing it like for free, essentially. People were coming to us all the time asking us, do you know a good female for this role? And I was like, 
there's a business here, you know, so maybe we should start doing this, but charging for it, you know, um, because Wimos has always been anti offering um, like a job board or recruiting because Wimos doesn't want to be poaching their members from the companies that are paying for their membership. That's just not, it's from the, from day one has been a big no-no for us. And um, so Jenna and I are really just using our network to, you know, provide a very unique recruitment service. And the oil and gas majors are really the ones that are making huge pushes to hire more women. Um, one in particular who um, we finally are, are set up with them. It takes a long time to get set up with an oil major, but they have an, an initiative to hire, um, to go from 10% women in shipping to 40% women in shipping by 2030, 2040. So we're, they hired us to help accomplish that. Um, and you know, our hope is that the inland barge industry will um, will also get on board with some of these initiatives too, because it's uh, it's really nice to have that balance in the office. I think women can bring a whole nother like mindset to the to the workforce, and it's just nice to have a, a balance of masculine and feminine energies. I think it, people are realizing that more and more of the um, the benefits that women can bring to the workforce, and Wimos is also. Um, you know, we feel like I haven't talked much about Wimos, so I just wanted to elaborate that Wimos is also trying to level the playing field and create like a no excuses mentality by offering women, uh, our members, our paying members, shotgun shooting lessons and golf, professional golf lessons, because these are also big networking events that, you know, I've gone to over the years where I never see women. And, you know, the, the excuses are usually like, well, well, I don't know how to play golf or I don't want to be like, I'm, I'm intimidated to play golf or to shoot with these guys because they're going to be so much better than me or I'm not very good or this or that. So we're just creating a no excuses environment where there's going to be no excuse for the women to not go to these events because we're going to help give them the tools to, to create these skill sets. And then we're also going to give the men a no excuses uh, environment because these women are going to get really good at shotgun shooting and golfing. So um, that's, those are just two examples. We do a lot of educational initiatives. We have about 10 webinars a year. Every, every single thing Wimos does is education-based. Um, very rarely do we have, you know, a happy hour where there's no, nothing educational going on. Um, that has been very important to us. Our, we go by the three E's, educate, engage, elevate. So we believe through providing education to our members that they will engage more within their careers and then elevate their careers should they choose to do so. So that has been really fun to watch. Um, you know, just seeing the, the industry involvement, um, the, the, the women involving themselves in industry events, like it's, I feel like skyrocketed, especially on the inland side, just, you know, seeing so many more women at golf tournaments and um, hopefully soon shotgun shooting you know, uh, events. We just had a clay shoot here in Houston. It was a Wimos clay shoot. We had 160 shooters and um, Maritime Throwdown was there. And uh, shout out to Kenny Brown. Love that guy. So he was there for the second year in a row. Yeah, it was, we, it was an incredible turnout, raised a ton of money and everyone had a blast, uh, pun intended. Um, and uh, <laughs> anyways, we were, we had about 350 people there. We had a live band. We had leather shotgun shell bags for every shooter. We had uh, these cups uh, made as well. Accutrans sponsored this one too. We had someone there personalizing all the leather shotgun shell bags with initials. We had nice t-shirts. We had a live Longhorn Bowl walking around. Um, we had a Beretta Silver Pigeon 12 gauge as the prize for the Flurry shootout. 
Uh, next year, I think we're going to do four Glocks so that every, there's four shooters or the flurry shootout. And we're going to have like four guns so that each shooter can take a gun home. But anyways, I, uh, you know, I'm a little biased, but I think it was, it was a really awesome event and we've had a lot of great feedback from it. And we had a, oh, about 50 sponsors, 50 different companies sponsor. So the, the outpour of support from the industry was, was really incredible. And it's not something that we take for granted. And we're just, you know, very, very happy to be here at this point because Wemos was started on an idea and, uh, you know, I mean, it's crazy to think I, people told me I was ruining my career when I started Wemos <laughs> and it has become actually, you know, the foundation for my career. It's really cool to, uh, to see that happen and, you know, proving people wrong is always fun. As I'm not sure you said it for the sake of the listeners that may be outside of the industry, what does Wemos stand for? It stands for Women in Maritime Operations. You might hear it called Wemos or Wemos. Um, I intended for it to be called Wemos because it sounds like women, but I've seen a lot of people just like to say Wemos and that's fine. Um, we corrected people for a while and then we were like, it's done. It can be whatever you want it to be. As long as you know what it is, we're happy. And, and it's women in maritime operations. And that is because our membership is limited to women who work for maritime operators who own, operate, charter, provide some other sort of logistical, operational, safety management type of services on the water. And we do that because um, it makes it a, a much more uh, intimate, special environment, not a salesy environment. So, you know, you don't, for example, you don't have, you know, insurance people there trying to sell all the operators insurance. You have actually women who talk the talk, work for, you know, a lot of competitors, but it creates an educated environment versus a salesy environment. And I think that's why we've been so successful is we've created something pretty unique. We do limit membership and we do deny membership. And that always sucks. I hate doing that, but it is important to keep it how it is and to keep it special because, you know, it's, there's a reason that we attract certain women to the, this organization that are not attracted to go to other organizations. Basically, you're... Like, you know, when you go to these and you go to an, a Wemos networking event, you're going to be networking with women who work for a company that's in operation. So they understand or they're working to understand. They have a motive to learn about maritime operations. Basically, you're, you're, you know, when you go to a Wemos event that you're not going to have like a counterproductive experience because that's kind of part, also part of the motivator for Wemos was I was going to a lot of events in New Orleans. And I'd find myself, you know, meeting, I, I keep saying insurance salespeople, but like meeting a lot of insurance salespeople who just wanted to get in the door at Marquette. And so after the networking event, I would go back to my, my, my everyday job and I would be following up on requests from these people who just wanted, who they, they, they just wanted to meet me to get in the door at Marquette. And so it wasn't helping me at all. It was actually a counterproductive uh, introduction, if that makes sense. Um, versus these women that we're meeting through Wemos. It's like very quality relationships for just learning from one another and, and, and finding someone who can, um, who can educate me on something new in a different area of the business. You know, maybe someone who works for a terminal, you know, or someone who, someone who works for an oil and gas major, like those, you know, that, that's, that's what we want you to have when you come to Wemos today. Well, Casey, I look forward to getting updates on all of your projects as we go here. I do appreciate your time this afternoon, and uh, I know you uh, have a place to go in about a half hour. 
Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me here today. And uh, hopefully you got all the answers that you wanted. And I just, uh, I'm sorry it took so long to get me on here. And I just really, I'm honored to, to be on here and I love what you're doing. And this was so needed. And hopefully this helps more people to learn about this incredible industry of ours. And thank you again. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon.